0: Well, hello, everyone. Uh, Welcome to our podcast again, our podcast number six, as it is. Uh, And my name's Hugh Powell. I'm here joined by Janet Haywood. Janet.
1: Hello, Hugh. Good to be back and good to be having a look back on our previous podcast today. And it's interesting listening back to them some time after to see, actually, where are we? There's a, there's a lot happened in the news this week. We've heard a lot from the minister, a lot from the new director, and this is all about having a check-in to see, actually, how are things measuring up right now? How are things for you right now, Hu?
0: Well, we're surviving, um, existing, perhaps, as well. Um, you know, it's, it's just a difficult time for schools, still. Schools we're juggling, Um, trying to return to normality whilst dealing with things that still aren't normal but looking at back through our podcast as you say we had a lot of discussions about what it meant to be leading in a pandemic but we, we still haven't come out of a pandemic we're still dealing with those issues in schools whilst as you say dealing with other things that are coming in externally now into schools where the assumption of normality is being made really for what we're doing it's, it's a challenging time, I think, a very challenging time at secondary schools, and I'm sure it's very much the same at primary schools as well. I mean, I would say the pupils have been fantastic. Our staff have been fantastic. Um, everyone's kind of pulling in the same direction, which is always a kind of good place to be. Um, but the challenges still, still exist, I think.
1: Certainly been a test in time, hasn't it? The last last few weeks coming up to half term now. I know that we'd have hoped to have made a podcast sooner than today, but I think there have been a few obstacles in the way for us. But life is beginning to feel a little bit more like normal as we approach half term, I think. And it's been interesting to see that there have been announcements this week um, about the new qualifications today, even there have been announcements about uh, the way that Estin's going to work as, as we continue. Hugh, hey, I, do, I do want to ask you, before we do any kind of roundup of our podcasts from before, what do you think of the announcement from yesterday about the qualifications as we go forward?
0: Uh, it, it was an interesting one. I don't want to speak too euphemistically. Uh, we start, I mean, I come back to the podcast. We started with Kevin Palmer and we started with the new curriculum. And the new curriculum was, was always a very ambitious project and an exciting one, um, I think, for Wales as well. And its realization was, was always going to be challenging and no doubt made worse because, because of COVID and, and the time pressures that put on schools. But I, but I think looking at what's been proposed, and it's worth saying it is a proposal at the moment rather than something that's, that's definite, there, there doesn't seem to be a huge amount of movement in line with the new curriculum um, that we're seeing in, in, in some of these GCSE proposals. I mean, you, you could characterize it as, as not being sufficiently courageous enough, perhaps, really, to build on the work that's gone on so far in schools in regard to the new curriculum, um, it's, it's a difficult thing to say, I think. I mean, GCSEs for secondary schools are, are how we are judged, quite rightly, because this is the next stage for, for young people and, and their careers and their work lives. Um, but we are I, I don't think we're y- there yet with the new curriculum and, and how it connects in some form or another with, with GCSEs. Um, I think th- th- there's, there's the worry of a, a, a disjoint in there, I think, really, between the two. And we could end up... Particularly at secondary level, perhaps having a, a parallel curricula in the sense where we have, you know, two or three years that are one type, and then other years that are, are another, and that's I mean, that, that is disappointing, I think, really, because as I said, we started from a very positive point of view and exciting point of view, and and I think we all wanted to see that to some extent run through and that vision to be to be realised.
1: So, so I guess you know what we would be saying to those proposals for the new curricula for the new qualifications is that they really do feel as if they're at a disjoint with with the new curriculum and that during this consultation time it's going to be really important that as professionals we we say that I think there's certainly that tension been all the way along and we felt it in virtually every discussion we've had every podcast we've made that there is is that tension between the four purposes and high stakes accountability through exams. And that there really is that that difficulty for secondary schools to be radical in the way that they're they're creating their curriculums then. You know, and and John Hattie, he spoke to us about being courageous, didn't he? You know, his his message to our minister was all about, our new minister was all about being courageous. Jeremy Miles, we hope you're listening now.
0: Well, I mean, he, he said he gets asked by education ministers in, in lots of countries to sit on panels about curriculum. And he, and, he, and, and he said he was very happy to do so, where curriculum were were devised in, in very kind of radical and innovative ways. Uh, I'm I just not sure if, if we kind of got there yet in, in Wales, if I'm being honest, really. And it's a bit of a shame at the moment. But as I say, these are... Um, outline ideas things may may change really as well there's quite a bit more to say about that i'm sure we really at the moment and it's worth pointing out if any of our listeners who are not in wales they'll wonder well what what necessarily are we are we talking about really but hopefully they have picked up from some of the kind of people that we've spoke to that this this is a kind of way of, of reimagining our curriculum around key purposes key skills and key knowledge um, and it, sometimes, as you say, as John says, you need to be courageous with that because it is it's difficult. And there's lots of parties within that system who, who may not want that to change.
1: I suppose just to flip it around then, you know, it's, it's easy uh, for us to sit here and say this isn't great and we're not happy with it in a perfect world, real blue sky thinking now what would you want assessment to look like for our young people at 16?
0: That That's a really interesting question. Um, and I, and I, uh, not necessarily easy one to answer, really. I mean, I've always said, if you're going to look at educational change, and we always do this, we always start with primary or pre-primary. We, talk, we do educational change from the bottom up, don't we? And don't ask me why that would be the case. As primary, you may be able to answer that better than me. Well, actually, we should at least be thinking about educational change from the top and the bottom and meeting in the middle or even from the top down. Uh, Because sometimes you'll come to a point like GCSE, a fixed point, or you'll come to A level or even degree. And if there isn't that consideration of change at that level as well, you are capping out your innovation at some point. And that's the concern in the system, really. In regards to assessment, I think it... Pupils need to be assessed. Pupils need to have exams. We need to prepare them for what's going to be coming beyond GCSE. Of course we do. But what we also need is a a mixed economy. We need the ability to assess different levels for different youngsters for it to be fair. I mean, most people in, in work listening to us now, perhaps, for example, they will know that they're unlikely to join a company and someone says, well, in five years, we'll set your exam to see... If you've been successful and they'd be two hours sat in in an empty room to say, well, well done or, or otherwise. I mean, most people's lives is based upon ongoing assessment of what they've learned and the skills that they're developing. And if there's a way of building that into a GCSE system, so it's more characteristic of people's lives rather than some 1950s grammar school version of what success and memorizing information would look like then that's got to be a positive thing
1: so th- so therefore our way of assessing children needs to be something that is ongoing that isn't about always about sitting ad- sitting down and and really performing under pressure
0: i think there's a place for that in the system I mean, it has to be an unless we change every single aspect of our of our our kind of assessment profile. And work is sometimes like that. I mean, there will be point in anybody's work life where there's high pressure situations and things have to be done uh, to a deadline. Um, But on the whole, life isn't like that really. The opportunities are, are different and we want to try and create that kind of atmosphere for young people. And it's worth pointing out the pressure of exams and people listening now will know exactly what we mean because they will have been through this in school themselves. It's very difficult for young people. the The effect on their their well being. Some people are successful at it. Many are not, um, and it, it takes time to develop and support youngsters. So we can still assess them effectively whilst not impacting their their mental health. And that does go on. And that's not a, a COVID situation that was in place. for for many many years prior to that the impact of exams on young people some were successful some were not in in spite of hard work and in spite of all the preparation they they might have done
1: and really what we're saying is the current proposals are not they're, they're not creating the change that that we need in the system for our young people then
0: I mean, what I'm going to say is, is my, my personal view here rather than that of the school or, um, or education system in general, really. But I mean, I, merging literature and English, I'm, I'm really not sure what what purpose that serves, if I'm being honest. I, I think my English teachers would, would wonder what exactly is going on in that system. I mean, numeracy was was brought in because of issues around our concerns about how numerate young people were, justifiably so, I think. Losing in the proposals, what I said, to lose separate science, I, I have no idea why, why that's in the proposals. I mean, so I remember from the OECD reports and things, they were talked about the importance of science and how our more able needed to be able to thrive in science. Well, this is where they would do that. And this is where they would be prepared, you know, for those high-level qualifications. So I'm, I'm sure there's maybe there's reasoning in this that I'm not aware of. Um, but my first instinct is is why that why that would occur in that form at all
1: mm-hmm. Um so the whole rationale I think perhaps we need to hear more about and I suppose that that might emerge over the next few weeks and months but as as, as things look then it, then it is disappointing
0: if I can just we talk a little bit about the podcast because because some of this is is connected I think isn't it when we we, we spoke about innovation to, to Mick to Mick Waters, um, and, and Mick has done a huge amount of work in, in Welsh government and supported Welsh government and supported education system as a whole, really. And he spoke about I remember the Welsh agenda. He said that the, the phrase he used was a roundedness of approach, and what he meant by that was we were doing everything in one go. And I think as heads we, we know what that as a challenge is, and of course those comments, that that kind of process of roundedness and doing it in one go was all in place really before COVID. We've got the new curriculum we've just mentioned. We've got ALN reform in Wales. Um, And of course, we've been juggling all of that uh, with COVID, professional learning model. It's a lot to do in one go. And I know Mick spoke about about that as a really positive thing to get it all done in one go. But, you know, there's strengths and weaknesses in doing that as well. And sometimes there's an argument that, you get one thing right before you do another. And so I did, wasn't sure if I agreed with Mick in the sense of getting it all done in one go, um, although there, there was much I did agree with Mick about.
1: Mm. I mean, you know, I, I suppose how can you change a curriculum and not change the assessments that go with it and change the professional learning that goes with it? That they, they they are intertwined, don't they? Without Without question the the changes to aln are huge but i don't think there's anything to argue with in terms of the ambition of what we're trying to achieve for our young people with them
0: there was an interesting connection there with what john said because he spoke about aln if you remember he said that when he was at melbourne they abolished the entire aln department yeah. the idea being that all youngsters have specific needs that need to be addressed rather than kind of categorising or subgroups of youngsters within schools to say they, they need. Now I didn't wholly agree with part of that because there will always be youngsters who need specific and, and special help to achieve. I mean, for example, youngsters with physical needs. And of course there, there needs to be people there to support them. And I thought there was a really interesting connection about ALM reform and how in Melbourne he had said that they got rid of that really completely. and, 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 and I think there's a bit of that in our reform program, I think, but we ha- I think we haven't gone the whole distance with that either.
1: I believe so. I think I think all too often, um, you know, and, and perhaps this is a primary thing, but all too often those children who are struggling in the classroom quite often are um, sent for magic interventions with learning support assistance. So, um, you know, those children... Who have the largest needs, the biggest needs, sometimes end up with, you know, I'll, I'll be quite honest and say the least um, trained professionals in the school. Um, really, it is the class teacher's responsibility to absolutely cater for the needs of every child in their class. A high performing classroom is there to cater for every single child. Um, through high quality differentiation and that that is really important and it's a huge skill it really is a huge skill but it is important that if we are being inclusive that that we do manage that and that we don't see that children need specific interventions but they need first-hand high quality teaching and and that is absolutely critical and I think our ALN bill really rests on that. That, Talking about Mick Waters as well I think one thing that really struck me with, with Mick is when he talks about the curriculum he's talking about the curriculum as being the whole school experience not just what is taught and he taught about how the school day Um, is something that we still haven't got right and I I know that's something that seems to keep on reoccurring doesn't it you know how should a school day really look to cater best for our children's needs is that something that you've been thinking about here in um, Mary Macalette
0: yeah, we, we do. I mean, we have plans um, looking at how we restructure. I mean, we're talking about the new curriculum and structure. Why, why let our innovation stop there when I mean, you consider innovation the broadest package? I mean, what I always say about these things is this, really, is what schools like to know is what is the evidence of success? So if you're going to make a big change and you, and you say this is a community change, not just a school, you're saying to parents, you know, when schools start and finish and how you know it's structured in between. These are quite big, big changes for for youngsters, for staff, and for the community as a whole. So you want to get it right. You want to do it. You want to get it right from the outset. And the problem is, I think with that with the system at the moment, there isn't sufficient research to underpin making the correct decisions about innovation. And and I don't want to make decisions based on anecdote. I feel it might be, or even. It works down the road they, they may be good reasons but are they sufficient reasons to make big changes to school systems and and i know welsh government are doing a lot of work and on research underpinning what we do and i think that's really positive and i think the understanding that we've got to make decisions that are evidential on the basis of evidence but at the moment in, in some areas and i'd say this is one of them the evidence and i don't just mean in wales but i mean kind of generally is not that strong. Um, and and I think we need a bit more really if we're going to be really innovative and back to that word courageous again then we need to know a little bit more about what might work effectively because we could actually do something that um, causes a huge issue to youngsters outcomes and to the community as a whole.
1: Absolutely you know that that notion of what is a successful school I think is something that has has come through the podcast again isn't it john john hattie spoke about how we measure a good school and i think we've really got caught down a, a bit of a rabbit hole with what makes a good school is is purely uh, outcomes at gcse and a level and actually you know when we really think about it as um, as parents as as members of society as well as professionals what do we want out of our schools and I think quite often if you do ask a parent they'll say well you know I want my child to go to school and to be happy yes I want them to come out with great grades.
0: Yeah I, Jan, I'm i going to disagree with you there a little bit really because I think as schools we've, we've always wanted that holistic view I mean I need I, I a Catholic school and so that's a kind of key part for us understanding themselves as Catholic citizens, I guess, but but all schools have been doing that and, and creating well-rounded, considerate individuals in society and not just, certainly not wanting just to be exam factories. We don't want to be that. That That's not a successful system, I think. Um, inevitably, schools are judged by what happens at those outcomes, and those outcomes are also important for young people because if they don't get those grades, then sometimes they cannot access the next stage um, for their education, so they are important. Um, but I think if we, we we don't say that they're the only thing that's important, there's many many other things, and their well-being, uh, their pastoral support, who they are as as human beings, is also important. I think to schools. So yeah, the, this is kind of this is kind of what we've been doing for quite some time. I think.
1: Absolutely, um, I think the whole notion, though, as as Mick was talking, was was really about what what. school as a community school can also do you know when we're talking about everything around family engagement when we're talking about enrichment programs um nutrition programs you know all of the different support that a school can give to its learners and also to its families and also the wider community you know when we when we think about that the whole agenda for schools uh really expands and expands you know that it's more than that core business isn't it
0: uh, yeah but it always has been that's my point janet we we've never kind of begun from you've got good gcse's and that that's it you know it's always more than that it's about caring for young people it's about understanding them as as young people and supporting them um, to be to be well-rounded healthy individuals and that, that that's the challenge of schools it's, it's not just about um, numbers on a page.
1: So, how do we measure a successful school?
0: That's a really interesting question. Again, Janet. I mean, I, I think data will always form a part of that because it's those outcomes and those outcomes, as I say, open doors to the next level. But it's also, I mean, what do the pupils think? Pupil voice. What are they communicating about the the community in which they part? Um, I think that's really important as well. I think schools always ask pupils how things are. But I think it's even more important now, I think really, to do that, to engage with young people um, and not just to learn from the, l- learn about them, to learn from them as well in that process as, as young people and who they are and empower them. I think that's really important. I mean we try as leaders, Janet, you and I try and empower our staff uh, mm-hmm. to be better leaders and to do their job. Um, but it's also important empowering young people as well. Um, and these are the next generation. These are the people who go off into society and maybe come back as teachers and, and leaders themselves in some point. And that's part of our our role as well. It's not just about our staff. It's about our young people. It's about in- enhancing their life chances. And in the communities that we serve, that's more important than most, I think.
1: I Do you know what's really striking me is that that question from john hattie how do we measure a good school it keeps on resonating and coming back in it and it came through the alistair Macdonald podcast as well how do we measure a, a good school when we think about how universities are measured how do you get to be the the number one university well of course we know that oxford and cambridge have, have been that for many many years but when we see those rankings they really are about how students themselves have um said how satisfied they felt with their experience well surely if we are moving into a new world of benchmarking schools because there is going to be something new there then surely we need to have that feedback
0: but why do we need to judge this kind of drive to judge and and assess everything i mean why why is that such a a key measurement who who is that for exactly I always ask that question: Who is that assessment and accountability? Who is it actually for? Um, we always want to do a good job of schools. That's that's why we're here. That's why we're are in the job is to be do the best for young people in our care. So, what is accountability for?
1: So, I guess accountability is there for parents to know where where are the where are the good schools. And you could argue that right. Well, every school should be a good school.
0: But then I'll come back to remember. When we were in Finland, they were really clear about that. They said every pupil goes to a good school, they go to their local school. There wasn't a kind of competition at various points to say, well, I'm going to this school I want to go and and the fighting for place to play. There was expectation that every school should be a good school and that's the school you went to. So Uh,
1: would you argue that there should be no information in the system to compare schools by?
0: I, I'm not sure if it if it's ever helpful. If I'm being entirely honest, does it really help parents make those decisions? Um, to some extent, perhaps. But I come back to the point again: Do we really need that accountability system? I mean, every every youngster has the right to a good school. I agree. I think that's so important in the system. Okay, it shouldn't be, for example, that you come from one part of the country or another part of an area, and, and therefore your opportunities are, are, are not as um, good as someone else. That, that's, that's, a, that's a damning indictment on a system. Every youngster has a right to a good school. And I wish it were the case. It isn't always the case. I think we, we, we know that isn't always the case, really. But it should be. It should certainly be an aspiration. And if that's the case, then the kind of concept of judging between schools and that assessment and accountability is is not necessarily needed. And and when we talk about accountability, I think it's always really important to understand, understand that not the schools are very different institutions and where they serve, the community they serve, can make a real difference talking about accountability and those challenges that are at the heart of getting that kind of success that we want to do.
1: Absolutely. And the fact that there needs to be trust within school, there needs to be trust between schools and autonomy within schools to serve the the, the community that is that school. Uh, Alistair MacDonald spoke very strongly about that, about how uh, perhaps we shouldn't be talking about closing the gap We should be talking about serving those children in the best way we can. We should be looking at ensuring that every child makes the progress they can to be the best version of themselves they can be.
0: The the kind of concept of closing, it's been a mantra, I think, in schools for quite some time, really. And I thought it was really fascinating that he spoke about how we should be trying to close the gap. But he also felt that it was almost something that, that could be impossible. Um, not because of the efforts that schools made, it's because it was bigger than schools. It's outside schools. It's it's something that schools have to deal with rather than necessarily just be able to solve. And I thought that was a very interesting angle to come at it because we've been always speaking about trying to bring parity between those on free school meals and, and those who are not. Um, but that's a huge challenge. That's a a, a bigger challenge than than many people think i think
1: it is and i think what that does it is it it throws it throws the challenge out to the widest system you know schools can't do it by themselves therefore how can they work with health how can they work with um the third sector how can they work in different ways, to, in, in smarter ways, I guess? And that is the way that the whole system needs to be thinking. But yes, definitely not just schools by themselves.
0: And you talk about accountability and FSM outcomes have been part of accountability for quite some time, really, particularly in Wales. Um, but of course, where, where those systems have been successful, let's take London, for example, where, where Alistair Korea was was held, really. They often speak about London as being a success story when it comes to free school meals. But what you want to understand in the system, of course, is that free school meals are not one amorphous group any more than girls and boys are. Within free school meals, there's different types of youngsters. And there'll be youngsters, for example, with educational needs, which makes it very difficult for them to achieve and maintain parity. But equally, you've got youngsters who come from other backgrounds, too, where actually the free school meals isn't necessarily a barrier. them barrier to them is succeeding and that was a very the question we didn't get to ask Alistair actually and I think it was a very powerful one is understanding the youngsters who are free school meals within your community is a really key factor to understanding how successful you can be.
1: And, and I guess it really is about providing opportunities and experiences and just turning back to the curriculum that area of learning and experience is, is the critical bit. That E in A-O-L-E is, is the really important bit. You know, I think there is so many of the children in our schools who, who don't have some of the experiences to draw on and that's why Curriculum for Wales for me is all about that experience. And those experiences need to look different for different communities. Absolutely. You know, I can remember when I when I first taught um, in the middle of England on the Longleaf Estate, I was a very long way away from the seaside. So To take children to the seaside for them to see it for the first time was a was a huge deal. Whereas um, when I taught on Barry Island, not in the same way. However, even there, not every child was taken to the seaside and given a bucket and spade and and that same experience. So it is important that we wrap those experiences around the curriculum that we offer in our schools.
0: I had the same experience working in Manchester, where I started my career, where many of them had never been to the seaside. Some of them had never been on a train. And and it's, it's what we call developing cultural capital. It's understanding what, what needs to be, what, what things would they crew and how can we build that into a curriculum for them to ensure that they get that understanding, really, as part of. And it doesn't matter whether you live in the capital city. It doesn't matter whether you live you know, in, in a rural area. That cultural capital is something that you can build um, and support and help youngsters because that gives them that breadth of understanding um, and that holistic approach that we mentioned earlier uh, to them being successful.
1: Absolutely. And I I think that's what is exciting about this new curriculum. It is looking to promote all of that. It is looking to break down walls between subjects whilst still preserving the integrity that, that comes within them. And I think that takes us right back to our very first podcast, really, where we discussed that with Kevin Palmer. And I think it takes us right back to the very beginning of our discussion and and how how we assess children is is a lever for the success of this curriculum. But fundamentally, I think if we put the the needs of our children first and really think about what it is we want our schools to be, not how people are going to look at them, but how we as leaders feel about them in terms of their success, that will be the success of this curriculum.
0: That's almost exactly the same point we were at, I think, at the end of the first podcast. <laughs> we had the same kind of points being made about being successful, and if that's successful, the system's successful, young people, everyone is successful. Um, well, look, thank, thank you, Janet. We, we've had a really kind of good good chat today about some of those things. I mean, obviously, this is the beginning of the year. Well, we're into it a little bit, but it's the beginning of the year for us, really. We are looking forward to a whole range of of new guests, we're not going to spoil the kind of build up to those guests now and tell you who they are. But we are going to be focusing on on that issues around deprivation and recovery. I think these are still big issues for parents and for schools. And how do we actually get youngsters to where we want them to be in in spite of the pandemic and in spite of the challenges the communities face. Um, I think we're going to look at Welsh language, a very specific issue in Wales. I think that might be an interesting one for us to study and it might be interesting for those people maybe outside Wales and understand where the Welsh language fits into education um and some sort of discussion discussion about that and it's quite a few other things I think Janet we're looking at isn't it
1: quite a few other things you, you know we're hoping as well that the whole distraction of Covid will lessen I guess as we go through but that whole um Look at innovation, really, and how that kind of thinking will keep the joy in what we do every day moving along uh, is, is going to be part of our discussions as we go. One thing I did want to talk about here before the end of this podcast is a project that's happening in in and, and some other local schools and beyond. And, and that's my big box boy project that I've been working on. So it's a it's a project that is is something that has the, the curriculum very much in mind. Uh, so children running a shop with food that would otherwise be thrown away. Food from fair share and for other local supermarkets, children creating food and selling food, um, enterprising, being creative but also learning how to cook and looking at nutrition. So the Big Box Boyd project is something that I'm really keen to share with other schools. There's a whole website and we connect that to um, this podcast so other people can have a look to see how the Big Box Boyd project is working in Caddickston, in Oakfield and in other schools beyond.
0: I've seen it in action, Janet, at your school. It is absolutely fantastic. It's such a Um, Primary schools that have such a strong connection to their communities, I often find. Secondary schools are always a bit more challenging sometimes for secondary, schools. But I think there's an example there of how you can build strong community relationships, work with your parents and support them, particularly in those communities that, that need it the most.
1: Absolutely. It's an exciting one. And I don't see why secondary schools couldn't really run with it. Having youngsters who are in charge of a shop who are in charge of running a cafe scenario and make making real money and um and business work
0: numeracy literacy and life skills all in one
1: absolutely live in the dream
0: well can i can i say to those who are listening look thank you so much all of you for your kind words in regards to our, our podcast thanks for your suggestions your questions, they've been wonderful to have and your comments that you've made as well. They really help us understand um, what works, what, what you want to hear us talking about. Please inter- continue to interact with us. We we look forward to your comments as well. Um, and, and until our next podcast and our next guest as well, I'll say goodbye. So it's goodbye from me, Hugh Powell. And
1: goodbye from me, Janet Hayward.
0: Take care, one and all. Thank you very much.
1: Bye-bye. Bye-bye.